You're listening to sermon audio from Redeemer Georgetown. For more information about Redeemer Georgetown, connect with us on social media or check us out at www.redeemergeorgetown.com. Good morning. My name is Robert. I'm one of the pastors here at Redeemer, and it's such an honor to be uh, under Shepherd with Michael under our senior pastor, Jesus. We're so glad that he has joined us for this gathering this morning and has something he wants to say to you. He knows your story. He knows your future. He knows your now, and he knows exactly what you need to hear this morning. And so I just want to invite you to pause a moment and to think about the fact that as the church comes together uh, for song and for scripture, the Lord meets with his people, and he is good, and he is kind, and he is powerful, and his voice is uh, the priority voice of our lives in the midst of a competing chorus of voices. It's his voice that matters most. And so I want to invite you to pray and ask the Lord to give you the ability to hear what he wants to say. And so uh, I'm going to ask for the power to preach, and I want you to ask for the power to listen, and, and then I want you to pay attention to the very few statements that might stand out to you as his critical words for you at this moment in your life. Father, we are grateful that you love us, that you see us, that you understand us, you know our thoughts from afar, you know our thoughts better than we do, you know how we arrived where we are here today. And you also see what's coming our way. And so, Lord, we thank you that you are kind. We thank you that you have the ability to speak in such a way that we will know that it's you speaking and we'll hear that, those words. And God, I pray, please empower me now to preach what is true and empower your uh, people to hear the voice of God speaking to them, saying exactly what you want to say to them to build them, to encourage them, to comfort them, to convict them, to show them the path forward and to give them rest. And pray that in Christ's name. Amen. A couple of weeks ago, I was in a room with six other pastors, and all of them similar in age, similar in experience to me. And uh, we were sitting there, and the guy that was leading our group, a guy named Elliot Grudem, is a very, uh, just a wonderful man, a uh, very discerning man. He said that maybe a month and a half before that, he was sitting at home considering his future and looking at what he might want to do and what the Lord is calling him to, and he came across a position at a seminary for the president, the next president that would be coming in, and uh, he realized that he was not qualified and did not want that role but that he had seen that someone had gotten that role who was about age 40. And he said, as I looked at a guy younger than me and I considered what he was doing in his vocation, I looked back at my life and said, what am I doing in life? How is it that I've arrived at this season and I don't have any more skins on the wall to show than what I've got? I don't have more accomplished in my life than this. And here's what had happened. He got looking at someone else who was slightly younger than him and looked back at his own life and said, man, I am failing. 
I'm not accomplishing what I had hoped or imagined I would accomplish at this point in life when I used to look forward to this age and think of what my life would look and feel like. I don't know if you've ever been there where you look around and by comparison, joy has been stolen from you. What you've got no longer looks any good. Doesn't look meaningful, doesn't look purposeful, doesn't look satisfying because you've looked around and seen somebody else doing and being what you hoped you would be doing and being. Paul, or pardon me, Peter is going to be talking to us this morning about the consecrated life, the holy life. And when I say holy, I don't know what comes to mind for you, but the Hebrew word, the original word for it in Hebrew means to be set apart, consecrated to God. That's what it means to be called into a holy life. And there's a guy that I can't wait to meet when we get in heaven. That's the guy that we would find in the book of Mark. It's uh, chapter 5, where the man is known as the legion, the demoniac, the one who runs up to Jesus from out of the tombs. It describes his terrible life as a man who could no longer be bound by chains any longer. They'd tried ropes. They'd tried now chains. He couldn't even be bound by chains. He used to scream in the nights. He was unclothed and wounded as he ran up to Jesus, compelled by the, the, the voices inside him, by the presence of that evil, the evil spirits inside of him. He was compelled to run up to Jesus and bow down and plead, not him, but the evil spirits inside of him, plead that he would not send them into torment. And then saying, I know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. And it says that the demons then begged Jesus, let us go into the herd of pigs. And so they went into the herd of pigs, and the pigs went down the steep embankment into the water. They drowned themselves. And it says that this was the first time in a long time that this man was found seated and clothed and in his right mind. And the people who knew this crazy guy came up and saw the dead floating pigs and saw the man seated there. And they said, Jesus, you've got to go. You can't stay here. There's no telling what else you're going to disrupt. But we know this, we couldn't bound him with change. You've somehow done it with words. You've got floating pigs over here, which upsets our industry. And you just got to go. You can't stay here. And Jesus got in the boat to leave. And here's the beautiful part. The man who had been set free begged Jesus, I'm coming with you. I don't want you to go without me. Wherever you are, that's where my home's at. So I'm coming with you. Can you see the disappointment in that man's serene face now set free, saying, I just want to be wherever you're at. And Jesus says, no, but here's what you are going to do. You go home, back to the Decapolis, back to the area where you're from, lots of Roman citizens there. You go back there, and you tell everyone in your home about what God has done for you. Now, there are, Michael and I were speaking about this guy, and what was his future? What did he end up doing? Is he the guy that wrote the book of Hebrews? We don't know. Is he a great evangelist? I'm sure. But here's the thing. That guy left his encounter with Jesus with purpose 
and mission absolutely clear in his heart. He had been set apart for a holy life. He had been consecrated into a purpose and a mission. Listen to these words from Peter. He says in 1 Peter chapter 1, he says, uh, here it is, uh, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be sober-minded and set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And verse 17 says, If you call him I call on him as Father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds. Conduct yourselves with fear throughout your time of exile. Now let me just stop for a second, and let's unpack a little of what's happening. Bible study 101. When you see the word therefore, you look back at the previous verses that preceded it. You always say, what's it there for? And it's always pointing to the, pre- the preceding context. When he says, therefore, he's pointing back to the first 12 verses and saying, you have been saved by grace. You have been secured by the mercy of God. He has set you free because he had an eternal plan and he set his affections on you. And therefore... Because that is all true of you, and that will never change of you, you'll never out-fox uh, God with your disobedience and Him go, man, if I'd known what you were going to do, I'd have, never, I'd have never saved you. No, no, see, you're never getting out of this deal. He set His mark on you, and His grip will never let go. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Set your mind for action. Have a posture that is forward-leaning, engaged, and expecting to receive from God. Now, we all know, we've seen this, we've experienced this. You know, every time the first pitch comes... Everybody is on their toes in the outfield. They're ready for action. They're looking for what is coming their way at the tip-off, at the drop of a puck. The other night when Luke was uh, playing uh, against Liberty Hill out there, when the whistle blows and it's time and the kickoff's coming, can you imagine if I walked onto the field and started trying to chat him up? Say, man, how's your day? You have a good day? That, how's that going to go? How's it going to go if in the middle of that, when everybody's in full uniform and pads, and I walk out there just to kind of have some casual conversation, <laughs> you know, I, th- I think everybody would be like, what are you doing? This is not the right moment for that. It's game time. It's go time. It's on. That's the posture that Peter says you were supposed to walk into this room with. Engaged, leaning forward, expecting to receive. Prepare your minds for action. I've got a friend, you know, we talk about 
where were you on September 11th, 21 years ago? I know exactly where I was at. I know who I was with. What about January 15, 2009? Anybody? Don't have a clue, do you? You know, I've got a friend who knows exactly where he was at because he was on a plane that went down in the Hudson. He has in his email now Mike 5C or 12C. You know what Mike 12C is? Any guesses? Because he's a part of a group that now knows their number and a, and a letter next to it. It's the seat they were sitting in. Because they nearly lost their lives that day. Something happened that marked the seat they were sitting in. Tell me the last seat you sat in on an airplane. What row and letter was it? No clue, right? And why would you know? See, the difference between Mike... Coleman'sberger, who was there the night that I met Monica, and we sat and had a meal together. Uh, Mike pays attention when the flight attendant comes on and starts explaining what happens if you should go down over water. Like you know, when I, he wants to know, even though he wasn't supposed to be flying over water, what am I supposed to do if that thing comes down? Okay. He's paying attention because he knows he might need that information. He is engaged in listening to the flight attendant as she gives instructions or he gives instructions. It's not yada, yada, yada to him. It's something he knows now. You might want to be paying attention. You people are foolish to think you don't need this information. Guess what, friends? Preparing for Sunday morning starts on Saturday night. Preparing your heart and mind to be with the family of God for instruction from the Word of God and from your pastors is a serious event. It's a serious experience. You should be leaning forward, expecting that God wants to speak to your hearts and say something that matters because you have a sea of voices right now in your life that are trying to define reality for you, priorities for you. And what I'm trying to do, as, as Chris sings, Michael leads in the, the confession, is I'm preaching from, directly from the Word. I'm trying to set the narrative in place about who God is, about who you are, about how God feels about you, what He has done for you, and how that shapes the priorities of your life. Because you've been called to holiness. You've been set apart, consecrated for purpose and mission. So he says, you prepare your minds for action how do I do that? He said, be sober-minded. Sober-minded. Be serious and, and be concentrated. Don't be dizzy and, and drifting. Be engaged. Be ready. He's speaking. Set your minds. I love this. Set your hope, pardon me, fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, here's what I want you to hear about this. He's telling you, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you. Now, grace means the unmerited favor of God, and it also means the divine enablement of God. And he says, set your minds and your hopes fully on that. Now, biblical hope is not like I just cross my fingers and really hope things work out. It means because you can have full confidence that at the revelation of Jesus you will have received unmerited favor and divine enablement. 
You're not going to have to be running and hiding to get underneath a rock somewhere because you've been found out and exposed. You will have unmerited favor in that day. You will have divine enablement in that day. You will have grace given to you in that day. Set your hope fully on that. Now, what is unspoken here, but the counter of that would be, don't set your hope on circumstances. You might go into something that you just absolutely don't like. This isn't what you wanted. This isn't what you were expecting. It looks like the the whole thing is falling apart. He says, set your hope fully, not on that, but on Jesus Christ and the grace that's going to be yours when he is revealed. And I hear in my own heart and mind that God is speaking to me in this way, that Robert, set your hope not on everything going as you planned. You know how to make God laugh, right? Show him your plan. It's not probably going to go like that. Whatever you're imagining in the next five years of good things that will come your way because you've lined them out and you've tried to make an effort at them, don't test your hope on that. God is creative in the way he shepherds us. And he will use both failures and victories, and he will use disappointments and setbacks as much as he will use breakthroughs to accomplish his will and his good goal in your life, that Christ would be conformed, that you would be conformed to the image of Christ. And it probably isn't going to look like you imagine. Set your hope fully on him. It's good. And then he says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. And then he calls us to holiness in all of our conduct because he is holy. Now, it says as obedient children, we, we all know what it's like to go out on a date with our spouse. You got three kids and you know one of them needs to be threatened a little bit more than the others. Threatened. You know one of them needs to be bribed. One of them needs to be encouraged. A little bit more than the others. I mean, you kind of know which one you need to go, hey, let me tell you how this is going to work. You're going to need to be obedient to the babysitter. Or things go very poorly for you. Or, hey, guess what? I've got some benefits waiting for you, and I need you to... You you get like he's saying, as those who know and love mom and dad and want to please them, that your obedience would be brought forward to him is an act of worship that we would be children who want to obey and love our Father back. Not to get salvation. That's already resolved. In the first 12 verses, you couldn't have missed it. That was done by grace. But those who have been saved by grace are called not to a life of frivolous, wasted uh, disobedience. Don't be conformed. It actually says, do not be shaped or fashioned by the lusts of your former life, shaped or fashioned. The idea is of somebody trying to bend and shape something to make it into a particular fit so that it functions the way you want it to function. He says, don't let your former lust, don't let your former passions fashion you into something of disobedience to God. You didn't know about the grace that was yours before. Now you do. So don't let your old passions, your old lusts, don't let them fashion you into something of disobedience. 
The deeper context of this is that there's something, it's a first century heresy called Gnosticism that Peter will speak a lot about in his second letter. But this is part of what's going on is the first century heresy of Gnosticism said that all things physical are bad. They're just dying. They're worthless. All things invisible and spiritual, good, right, pure. And so if you're a Gnostic, it doesn't matter what you do with your body, Eat, sleep, drink, do anything you want sexually. It doesn't matter. And Peter is saying, no, don't let your former passions conform you, shape you, push you, uh, shape in you, fashion in you something of disobedience to God because he's called us to holiness. He's called us to himself. We are made to walk in the bright sunlight of the road of life with God in the presence of His purity, in the presence of His goodness. Now, I used to think holiness sounded kind of like a drag. I mean, just like dressing up in a very stiff, tight collar. Okay, this is holy. Now we're going to go and we're going to sing these songs. And you know, somehow to me, that meant having no fun. That's what holiness is all about so untrue. See, we were created by him and for him. That means we find our fullness of life, our fullness of joy, rest, purpose, all in experiencing him as we journey towards heaven together. That's holiness. There's laughter, there's friendship, there's joy, there's goodness, there's purity, there's rest. All of those things are walking with him in holiness. And listen, don't overthink this. Don't overthink this. We know what holiness is. We know what it is to walk in purity and walk in holiness. Just the same as if I said, hey, if you want to get to Waco, you're probably going to need to get on 35 heading north. You're either heading to Waco or you're not. But if you take off heading south, you're just going the wrong direction. Look around your life right now and ask, is this in keeping with God's holiness? Is this, is this part, this segment of how I spend time and money and friendships, my conversation, my thoughts, are these in holiness or are they just absolutely the opposite direction of that? You've been called to holiness. And that's like being called to pure joy. So that thing that you might be holding on to that you know is not holy... You're holding on to it because you believe something wrong, that in that you will have purpose. In that you will have uh, a sense of belonging. In that you will find that you feel purpose. Okay, God is saying to you, no, you'll never find it there. It's a disappointment. It's a beer commercial. It doesn't really work like that. No one really goes shopping in a sleigh with a horse. Right? So stop dreaming that, 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 that this somehow this unholiness will produce in me a sense of satisfaction and meaning and purpose that only God can give me. He's called us to holiness. And now there comes the warning, and I want you to hear this as saved people, because remember who he's speaking to, elect exiles. That's us, and that's his first readers as well. He says, and if you call on him as father who judges impartially, impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourself with fear throughout your time, the time of your exile, knowing 
that you were ransomed from the feudal ways uh, of uh, feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. If you call on him as father, who impartially judges according to each one's deeds, I can almost see somebody going, ooh, hold up. You just said several things that, I, that I'm struggling with. Yes, I call him Father, and he is our Father, and he is a good Father. And we call on him his Father, but he judges impartially according to each one's deeds. Now, that's where the wrinkle comes, right? And I want you to hear this and hear this very loud and clear. Your sins have been thoroughly punished 2,000 years ago on a cross. They were fully found out. They were exposed to the daylight, and you were found guilty. And, and you were a due for the punishment that would come your way because standing in front of a holy God is a, is a sinner who is a rebel. You deserved wrath, and the wrath fell on our older brother Jesus. And he absorbed the anger of God, the wrath of God. He satisfied the wrath of God when he died on the cross for our sins. So what the heck is this stuff about judgment? Friends, hear this. We have been forgiven of sin, but our stewardship will be thoroughly examined. Our stewardship of the spiritual life and the Spirit indwelling us, the gift of prayer, the breath you breathe in and out can be used for cursing or for singing worship, but it's a stewardship. The money that you make is given by God, and it's a stewardship. The unique wiring of your soul and your experiences for this very moment is a stewardship. You've been given life beyond the moment of salvation and before the, the day when you're fully redeemed and walking in heaven, the redemption of your body. Before that, you've got this thing called life. You've been given a church home. It's tough to find a great... I can say this, it's going to sound terrible, but I mean this with all my heart. It is tough to find a church where you can say this is all the, honoring to God this the way the word is being taught, this is a stewardship. And so our stewardship will be judged. Let me read these words from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 12 through 15. Now, if anyone builds on a foundation with silver, with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw. Each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it. It will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire." Now, I'm going to unpack that in a minute, but let me keep going. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. 
we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Revelation chapter 22, Jesus speaking at the end, he says, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and Omega. I am the first and the last, the beginning and the end. You can see now why there's a soberness about how we spend our lives. That it is passing very quickly. That God has given us great opportunity to serve as those who will never have to, face his, have to face his wrath because Jesus faced it for us, but we've been given a stewardship of time and blessings and opportunities. And he says, if you call on him as father who judges impartially, make sure that you conduct yourself in holiness in the time of your exile. Your exile, that's what we're in right now that we would live our lives with purpose and meaning, not frivolously wasting them, but investing them, walking with Him in the daylight, not trying to hide and cover and get away with things, not trying to just live selfishly for ourselves, thinking that somehow if I could just have more of that, that would be the satisfaction of my soul when He promises that's not true. God will stand you alone someday without me there, without your spouse there, without your kids there, without your parents there, and he will evaluate your stewardship. And it's my job, it's Michael's job that we would prepare you, saved people, saved brothers and sisters, beloved of Christ, prepare you for that encounter that you would say, God, I want to give my life away. I've, I've been consecrated for this very purpose, that I would give my life away for the glory of Jesus Christ. Now, if you're starting to think, golly, that just sounds really expensive. Like, if I, if I committed to that, what would it mean? Like, would I have to quit my job and go move somewhere that I don't want to move, where they don't have ESPN or what? Like, what are you calling me to? And I want you to just keep watching, and we'll find the answer to that question. But do you see this? We will give an account for the stewardship of our lives. Matthew 25, on that day, he will call into account those who he had given the talents to, and they will come forward and say, Master, the talents you gave me, the five, I, I went and I produced five more. And he'll say, well done, good, and what? Faithful servant. You had to be a brilliant IQ. You don't have to be a super this or that. You can be faithful plodding along, walking with him, planting good seed, present in the moment he has put in front of you for the glory of God. Listen to what else he says. He says, you were, he goes right back to the gospel after that. You listen to this. You were, uh, you were not, let's see, pardon me. Uh, there it is. But you were bought with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish. He was foreknown, he who was, or pardon me, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world and was made manifest in the last times for your sake, and uh, who through him are believers in God, who raised him up from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and your hope are in God. See what he's done there? 
After giving that warning, he said, he didn't buy you back with just simple gold and silver. He gave his son. He was foreknown before the foundation of time and made manifest for your sake. He came into this world for your sake. Don't shrug your shoulders at that. He was known before time, and he was made manifest for your sake that you might be saved. Friends, hear me. You were made for him. You were made by him and for him. Giving your life away to him means you get to tell the story of what he did in your life, not just tell the story of somebody else. Not just hear the story of Hudson Taylor, but you walk out saying, I was so scared because I knew that God had called me to something and my heart was pounding in my chest and I was afraid I was going to look like an idiot, but I just stepped out anyways and tried. And man, God showed up. No joke, I was, uh, I was driving home from a conference with my friend Garner Simpkins years ago. We're in Arkansas somewhere. It was, must have been 9 o'clock, something at night. We come into this gas station, and the guy that's supposed to be running the register, he's kind of in the back. We're getting our Twix bars and Gatorade, whatever we're getting in. I'm kind of watching this guy. He's got a braided goatee and a a bubba cap on, and uh, they're arm wrestling, and they're hooting and hollering about, you know, who could beat who, and so when he stands up, comes up to the register, um, I put my stuff down, and I was like, all right, never mind, come on, let's go, <laughs> and he goes, are you kidding me, and I was like, no, I'm serious, I want to arm wrestle, so all his friends, five of them or so, gather around to see this happen, and I said, but here's the deal. I win, and I get five minutes to tell you about how Jesus changed my life. And he's like, huh? And I said, if I win, I get five minutes to tell you about how Jesus changed my life. He's like, whatever. And so we go to arm wrestling. And I'm like, God, I've got to win this. <laughs> For a lot of reasons, I need to win. And uh, we lock in there, and he gets me to ride about here, and I'm like, I, 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 I've got to win this. And so I just prayed, and I'm telling you, like Samson of old, I just went over the top. And, and there I am, and his friend's just in disbelief. I was somewhat in disbelief as well. And, uh, and I thought, okay, now it's it. you got to hear this. And I sat there and shared the gospel for probably 30 minutes with those guys. And it was just glorious. And I thought, you know something, Lord? I just want to have eyes that can see moments with my wife, with my friends. Can I encourage Jesus in you? Can I encourage let go of that? Can I encourage you that while that looks shiny and beautiful, it's really not that satisfying. You and I both know it, but Jesus is good. Could I watch in the car for moments to engage my kids and just say, hey, guys, God is so good. Could I let go of a familiar church that paid me well? And all that? Could I let go of that? Could I tell my wife? Could I tell my friends? Can, can we go do this again in Georgetown? Because as you sit here right now, there are people five months from now that will be here. We haven't seen them yet. Let's let go of this, hoping that it'll satisfy. Whether this means just of our money, our time, our convenience. Let's let go of that and say, Father, I just want to walk with you. And I want to tell my story of faith. 
I don't want to tell Elizabeth Elliot's story of faith. It's a great one. What about mine? What about yours? You were put on this planet for something bigger than trying to satisfy yourself with food and sleep and movies and, and songs you like that you would compete for. Man, we got to have this and we got to have that. Hang on a second. Just let go of all of that for the glory of Christ. Ask Him to use you and walk with Him in a consecrated life. Walk into the future saying, I'm your servant. I just want to serve you. I'm not super gifted in all these things, but God, if you'll use Anybody, would you use me? Would you use me? Friends, let's, let's fill up the spots that need to be filled in serving in this church. Let's fill them up. Let's fill them up so that when we're, when we're serving any given time, whether it be on a gospel community night, whether it be on a Sunday morning, we're just saying, Father, if you can use my simple efforts, here they are. I'm yours. I want to feel my heart pounding in my chest because I trusted you, not myself. How good is it? Well, listen to what else he says. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you've been born again, not a perishable seed, but imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. Let me stop for a second because I know this will tangle some of you up. Purified by your obedience? Okay, what? And it says, read the whole thing, your obedience to the truth. Okay, the truth, Jesus. Your obedience to your king, your master, who is the way, the truth, and the life. Your obedience to that king shows evidence of what is actually happening inside, that you are saved. And this does not mean that you're purified because you did the works. It shows that you are purified because you belong to Him. Now hear this. Faith alone saves. But faith that saves is never alone. It's always accompanied by a set of purified values that show up in how you live your life. That's what he's saying, that if you're truly saved... Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, just mark it down. Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. You're saved by your faith through grace, but that faith will show up in obedience, a heart that desires to please and honor God. He says, if that's true and that is true of you, let your love for your brothers be sturdy, not fickle. I have no doubt that when you come into this mix called Redeemer, you're going to get your feelings hurt. Somebody's going to say something. I will. Michael will. One of us will, will, dis, uh, will say something that hurts your heart, something that was born out of selfishness in us. Maybe, maybe it was born in some kind of pride or ego, and you're going to feel hurt. And he says, love one another with an earnest love. Let your love be borrowed love from the Father living in you for that person who you're trying to serve and encourage. Love each other with a sturdy love. Why? Because all flesh is like grass. The glory and all of its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower fails, but the word of the Lord remains forever. 
And this word is the good news that was preached to you. You do realize what he's saying is that you've only got a short window. And the, the word of God abiding in you is like a boiling cauldron of water. It just keeps bubbling up and eventually it spills out everywhere. And to the extent that you say, Father, let your word live in me and I'm committed to seeing this grow and deepen and mature, you are committed to things that will last forever. But to the extent that you just live an unconsecrated life, a life of selfish pursuit, you're wasting the very brief moment that you've got. It's such a good thing to be invited into the eternal work of God through the local church. And I just want to encourage you, this is not to make you a good girl, a good boy, a, a gold star Christian. That's already happened on the cross. You got that deal, okay? He sees you as righteous. Now, how are you going to live your life? A consecrated holy life? If that sounds like a drag, you've totally misunderstood it. It's fun. Pray with me.